Good evening and welcome to this uh, very special rescheduled edition of the Silmarillion Film Project. <clears throat> this is session 5,032,000,000, I think. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> we have these numbers on the, on the, uh, that Curry is projecting, but they mean nothing to me. Oh, I guess it means it's season five. But season five. Seriously, have we done 32 sessions for season five? For season five, yeah, yeah. Oh, Which means I think we're, I don't, I, I, I still don't know the total number of film film no. sessions that we've done. A lot. But it's like 150 by now, isn't it? Something yeah. like that? At least. I could probably find out for you while you're doing your announcements. Right, because the, early, the earlier episodes, or the earlier seasons were a little shorter. It's the last mm-hmm. two that have gotten seriously out of hand. <laughs> yeah, as far as the sessions are concerned. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. But, anyway, um, we're here. Here and, we are. Uh, just a reminder, this is now, this, this, this thing that began as a lowly podcast is now a live stream. Oh, Please yeah. video. We're so sophisticated now. It's not even funny. Um, We're allowing you into our homes. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, tonight is uh, tonight. We're 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 doing the romance tonight. It is uh, it is the the high romance episode uh, this evening. Um, the first of all of the elf human romances, um, which you know, I never actually thought of that before. Like it never actually even once occurred to me that I mean Andreth and Ignor are always an outlier, you know, in Tolkien's imagination of elf human romances. Um, not only because it's gender reversed from the normal dynamic, um, but also I, it never occurred to me. Literally, only not until this very moment did it ever did I ever really process the fact um, that Andreth and Ignor are the first romantic connection between elves and humans. Um, I don't know why that never occurred to me before, but it never did. And it's really interesting that the very first human elf romance ever uh, is a complete failure. Now, I say it's the first ever. Of course, it's also like the last ever uh, in the sense of like, depending on your timeline, right? Uh, in the Middle Earth history timeline, it's the first. Uh, in the Tolkien composition timeline, it's pretty close to the last. Um, the only possible I, rival I there... I think that's why you don't appreciate you. We don't think of it. As yeah, first. yeah. I think I think I think. So. I mean, you know, it's it's one always thinks of Baron and Luthien, you know, as the as the first. And among the major stories, you know, in the published Silmarillion, it is the first. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I'm not sure whether or not the uh, romance between uh, Andreth and Ignor was written last, or whether the sort of non-romance of Prince Imrahil's ancestors uh, was written last. Those were both really late. Um, You know, the kind of his sort of backstory of how elven blood got into the line of Dol Amroth. Um, uh, Which is, I don't know, a little, like, uncertain. Um, I've just been rereading Unfinished Tales because the... uh, um, the audiobook just came out. Oh, finally, an, an, a normal, legal, unabridged audiobook of uh, uh, of unfinished tales. <laughs> Such a relief. <laughs> um, uh, but um, 
Uh, anyway, so yeah, I was so excited uh, when uh, that was announced uh, just a little while back. But anyway, so I've, I've been reading it again uh, through the the new audiobook and um, just got to that like yesterday. The whole uh, story that you know, in the context of the Nimrodel story, and uh, it's you know his phrasing is really indefinite. Like this maiden, probably you know one of the handmaidens of Nimrodel gets like caught up in the mountains and trapped or whatever. Yeah, I don't know exactly what was wrong with her, but anyway, she was in trouble and she gets rescued by, you know, the this human, you know, the ancestor of Prince Imrahil, quote, and he took her to wife. And I'm like, uh how'd that go? <laughs> like what does that mean exactly? Like you do. Like you do, right? You rescue an elf maiden in the mountains and you take her home. And you marry her, I guess. Like, hey, I, mom, look at this girl I found. <laughs> right? Can I keep her? I mean, it's it's really weird, right? It's uh, you know, there's no indication of like. I mean, it might be a very charming love story. It really might. But then she ditches ditches him. Like they have two kids, and then she's like, "I'm out," and she just leaves. Um, anyway, it's it's a weird non-romance story that I never really quite know what to do with. But anyway. We're not here to talk about that story. We're here to talk about Andreth and Ignor, also a very late, strange, failed romance story. Tolkien was really into failed romance stories in his later years. Um, as again, been reading Unfinished Tales, just read Alderian and Arendus again also recently and was like, man, that is a dark romance story. <clears throat> but anyhow, um, so that's what we're talking about tonight. But before we finally get around to talking about it, uh, a couple quick announcements. First of all, Mythmoot is coming up soon. Mythmoot starts a fortnight from today, June 24th to the 27th, um, down in Leesburg, Virginia. So we're going to be gathering corporeally in Leesburg, Virginia. We're also going to be meeting digitally online. It'll be a, a fully hybrid event, which is going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to getting together with folks again, which is going to be awesome. And I should mention, of course, that we are doing... A uh, another film film uh, casting and uh, 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 dramatic reading of a film film um, scene. I don't know which scene we're doing. Do you know, Nick, which scene is being we're, we're going to do it? Myth- um, this is the first I'm getting like an actual any actual information about this. So, I mean, I, I can come up with ones. Okay. So, yeah, I, I th- Marie I, and I, I were actually just talking about this about what we could about what we could use. Um, and so if we're doing a scene, then I can think of a few that might be really interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, I suspect that uh, I suspect that Marie has a plan. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Druid's Fire says, I'm not wrecking my voice for the second year running. Yeah, Druid's Fire played a dwarf, a guttural dwarf uh, last time, as I recall. Um, but anyway, no, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're we're gonna we're gonna do another uh, uh, casting and uh, dramatic reading of uh, of uh, a, a, a film film scene to be announced. Um, Brian, you are right. Marie always has a plan. That's kind of uh, well, I'm just sort of assuming Marie has a plan. Like I don't even need to think about it because I trust Marie to have a plan. 
Um, anyway, so if you uh, if you are interested, uh, you know, it, it, you know, of course, you don't even have to join us in person. You can get Moot Hub or Mootcast, which are our two options uh, for digital attendance. Mootcast is really for people, especially if you can't really make it. All the, like synchronously all the time. You get access to the full archive of all the recordings of all the sessions, and you also, of course, can view any of the sessions live. Um, and then Moot Hub is for the full participation, you know, over the course of that whole weekend uh, and access to all the things. Um, and then, of course, there is the full corporeal attendance, which is really cool. Um, um, what do you think about Dave? See, I'm trying that out because I decided like people keep saying live, like it's a live event as opposed to a, a, a digital event. But that's totally not a good term for it because like if you're attending that, it online. That's opposed to a dead event. Right, exactly. Well, it's still live, right? Cool. I mean, like this is a live session despite the fact that we're not all in the same room, right? So it's totally not. So I'm like, I, I, I need a better word. So I'm trying out corporeal. Right? I, like, yeah, I think that's great. And it's way better than like in person. In person, yeah. Like that's just, that's, yeah, that's. You, Too mundane. Yeah, you need a word. You need like a single word, not a phrase, right? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a, a, there's corporeal like attendance and digital attendance. That's, that's what <laughs> I'm just, I'm kind of trying that out. <laughs> We're seeing how that goes. <clears throat> trying to think if there's a, if there's a more Tolkien ish word, but I, I can't come up with one yet. Yeah, uh, incarnate is a little too intense, <laughs> <I think. laughs> but it's the only other one I could come up with. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, you know. Um, okay, and also, yes, don't forget about our, our Signum Clubs, our extracurricular program uh, for grades 3 through 12. Um, those are great. We're having a, a, a couple new kids joining uh, my my son is doing Old English, uh, doing Old English club. He's been learning Old English, which is a lot of fun. Got a, a couple new kids joining his club this week. It's a lot of fun. So uh, definitely invite folks to look into that. And final announcement: Remember, the voting for the casting is now open. Our very next session, we, we are, because of Mythmoot, we're skipping a session. Um, so our next session won't be until July first, um, Thursday, July first. But on that day, we are going to be discussing the casting. So um, cast your vote by June 27th for the Season 5 cast. The nominees are in and casting is open. Uh, so go to forums.signumuniversity.org uh, and go to the Silm Film <clears throat> Forum Season 5 casting and you'll be able to cast your votes there. All right. Um, now, off we go. Episode 9, A Brief Flame, um, alluding not only to the romance, but also to the life of, of mortal men, I assume, Nick, right? And, and the, kind of the yep. emphasis on the brevity of human life uh, in the context of, um, you know, this sort of uh, interspecies romance here. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so we're two to three years. So we, we have... Uh, we're starting with the uh, House of Bayor now settled in Ladros, mm -hmm. uh, and they've been there for they've been there for two years, right? Yeah, um, I don't know that necessarily they've been there for two years. So what I would say is that because we they were traveling, imagine, right? They yeah. traveled here from Nargothrond, which is quite a ways to travel with your entire civilization. <laughs> right. um, in addition to that, 
Um, we, while we ended episode eight with them leaving Nargothrond, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that there was a time period between the time where they decided to leave and the time they actually left. Right. Right. Okay. So between those two time periods, I would say this is an indefinite amount of time after that decision was was made, but less than three years. Okay. All right. So, but basically, we're going to be looking at an established settlement up in Ladros, right? So there, there. You know, will there be signs of them still settling in? Um, what kinds of? Um, well, I, hang on a second. Let me hold these questions so we actually get to the A plot. Let me finish the summary here first. So that's when we are. Um, and um, our A plot, of course, as I've mentioned, is Andreth and Ignor meeting and falling in love. The B plot, Mithros constructing secret tunnels within the mountain of Himring with the help of the dwarves of Belagost. So we've got some defensive construction going on uh, out there on the eastern front. And then the C plot is Fingolfin calling the council in Dorthonian to discuss the siege. So we're having um, um, this is that C plot is basically like the beginning of the final stretch of the season as far as the big picture, you know. working our way towards the breaking of the siege at the end. Both the B and C plots are related to that um, because the B plot is basically big setup for how we're going to end Himring's assault in the Dagobragalak because we we needed some ways to get the orcs to retreat outside of siege range of Himring Mm-hmm. So that it was no longer besieged by the time we got to the end of the episode, <clears throat> uh, because we wanted at least somebody's day to end on a good note. <laughs> right. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, so I like the the fact that while this, while the romance is happening, we're beginning to get these stirrings, these kind of reminders that the overall you know, Beleriand plot is moving on towards, you know, we're being, because the siege has been, you know, it's been discussed at various points, right? But it's just been a fact of life. I mean, the entire season so far has just been happening behind the siege. Um, So I like the idea that we're like, let's discuss the siege and what should happen in the future to begin to orient people towards the fact that this is not just a, a, a framework, you know, that's going to be up forever. Almost all of the action that has taken place so far has taken place behind the lines. Right. We haven't spent a lot of time at Himring or at Minas Tirith or at Barad Ethel. There's been some time spent up there. Hodor spent some time up there. Right. Right. Um, but almost everything that's happened thus far has happened either south of the of the March of Mithros mm-hmm. or over on the other side, south of. Um, south of Minas Tirith. Right. Right. Okay. And yeah, so that, um, how, no, well, okay. I was going to ask you about the council, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Okay. Um, and then the frame, which we may or not get to, and we're way behind on the frame anyway. So let's, let's, let's not worry about the frame just now. We, we actually had to have a special session just to work out the frame for episodes 11 through 13. So, uh, most of, mostly because we had so much that had been added to right. what the frame was trying to do 
that we really wanted to see how the end of the season was shaping up mm -hmm. uh, before we started making decisions about where things were going to happen in the frame. And it's a good thing we did because I feel like had we had we not done it that way, that we would have wound up locked into some decisions that were not great. Right. So. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. Back to the A plot now. So what I was asking was in Ladros, um, how settled are they? To what extent um, are I'm, I'm trying to? I always like to kind of get the scene set in my head right as we begin. Yeah. Um, are we going to be drawing attention to the fact that this is still a recent settlement? Is there still construction happening, for instance? Are we still seeing how uh, how far are they along in their ad in their adaptation? Like, do we still see lots of like soft-handed people clumsily doing things they're not good at yet, or like what do we? Where are we with that? So it's important to note that Andreth is meeting Ignor for the very first time, mm -hmm. right? So they can't have been there that long. Yes elves are it's not going to occur to them to be like hey maybe we should go meet our neighbors because they've been there for a few years at this point right <laughs> right under normal circumstances you would expect i them to have met much earlier right 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 sorry hopefully i hit my mute button fast enough there um <laughs> so um so while it can have been a while because elves right it probably hasn't been super long. And so they probably are still kind of getting the hang of what they're doing. You know, they have moved from essentially living in a greenhouse for their entire lives right. to being on the very raggedy edge of the frontier with no real help. And the Abros have kind of been a little slow in kind of checking in on them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're they are definitely having a rough time it's probably not as extreme as like the first winter of the plymouth colony mm -hmm. it's probably not that extreme uh where i think like a, a third of the people died in that first winter if memory serves <clears throat> uh, but that's kind of the situation that they've been in because they are out there all on their own trying to make it work with basically whatever knowledge they've held to like think think about this all right we've got what six people in the chat and we've got on twitch we've got another 11 so let's say we got 20 people just for fun all right and we drop us all in the north american wilderness do we actually survive <laughs> right <laughs> Some of us may have some knowledge, but I'll bet you even in that group, we don't have enough knowledge to restart civilization. Mm -hmm. Right? And this is a pretty well-educated group. And it, so it's not entirely not that. Right. Who probably had some time to do some homework before they left, you know, Nargothrond as well. Right? I mean, they knew they were heading out to the frontiers. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and maybe they checked in with the Haladin and brought along a couple of specialists to kind of help them out for a little while. Possibly, yeah. But, yeah. But it's still pretty rough. It's mm -hmm. still pretty rough. Yes. And 
Andreth is still holding the line, as is emphasized in the very first plot point here, still holding the line on we want to figure this out for mm-hmm. ourselves, right? We, 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 we want to... Um, um, uh, we don't <clears throat> want handouts from elves to, you know, help us get through, to, to, to save us here. That's the whole right. point, is we're trying to make it on our own. Um, though you've got to think a significant portion of her people are going to be seriously doubting that this was such a good idea after all by the time they get yes. here, right? Um, you know, the teenagers are now like, okay, I could do with one fewer bonfires now, come to think of it, right? You know, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe things weren't so boring in Nargothrond after all. Um, I mean, it, it's... What kind of relationship? I mean, that just it raises the question for me. What kind of relationship do we see with Andreth and her people? Like, has has their has her leadership survived that strain well? I mean, is that something? Because I mean, there's got to be strain. I mean, it's not quite you know Haleth in Nandun Gortheb strain, right? But it's got to be the second most right of all of the you know of this kind of strain that we've seen. Um, in this whole season, um, this is a it's going to be a really, really challenging transition. And especially to be like for elves to be showing, you know, you're you're kind of in deprivation, trying to figure things out. Right. And these elves show up with gifts and Andreth is like, no, 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 we're good. No, thank you. Um, like, seriously, that can't be a wholly popular decision at that point. Right. Right. Um, right. You know, maybe. Maybe just give us a little bit of the dependency on elves, <laughs> just <Yeah>. for now. <laughs> right, know? especially because they are kind of rolling into – in that first scene, they're rolling into winter. One of the things that we did was basically show the passage of time mm-hmm. over the course of this episode. Um, so we showed the seasons passing to kind of help uh, cement that in the, in the eyes of the audience. Right. Uh, along with everything else. And so, yes, there's probably some grumbling. There's probably a little bit of uh, other stuff going on. It's not the point of the story that is happening on screen here, but there definitely would be background stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But we're going to see her. Be- so I'm, I'm, I'm one of the reasons that I'm kind of pressing on this a little bit is that I want to make sure that we have that dynamic clear in our heads because by the time we get to the end of the episode, Andreth is ready to desert, right? She's ready to walk away from the whole thing. So I'm trying to make sure I understand, like, what does that mean? What are the full dynamics of that? You know, of that? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to her? To how much of a sacrifice? Because, I mean, if we're not careful, right? It could easily look like, well, this sucks. <laughs> like, I want to go off on, you know, I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to go off on, on my, you know, a honeymoon with like the elf hunk instead. I mean, it could look like a real, less of a sacrifice and more of a, of a defection, you know, more of an abdication on her part. Right. And that would right. really undermine her position, I think, if we're not careful. There are definitely so there are preparations that she makes towards the epi- end of the episode mm-hmm. that are specifically addressing some of that stuff. Um, you know, in she's preparing the people for a change in leadership. Um, but I would say that generally, the up until the latter third of the episode, people's response to her has been generally positive because mm-hmm. while they're 
life has been hard, you know, their kids always have stuff to do, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's burning anything down. Like, people have to be aware of the fact that you have to admit you're not bored, are you? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, but that their young people are clearly thriving in a way that they weren't before. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think of this every time that I, I bring my daughter out into the woods and let her run around in, in the woods like her namesake, um, right. yeah, you know, um, like she is vastly happier doing that mm -hmm. than she is hanging out in the house. Right, right. You know, now granted she's two. She doesn't understand the fact that, you know, she have without, to forage me for her there, own food. without me there, she's dead meat running around, right? Right, right, right. But yeah, so, so, so essentially we're wanting to show that, yes, it's a struggle. Yes, there are difficulties, but actually the people really are happier. Like in general, you know, if we yeah. were to pull the house of, of Bayor at this point, they would still say, yep, we're glad to be here. You know, it's it's rough. It's very different. Um, we're still not good at this, and we all might die over the winter. But, um, you know, I'm, st I'm still I – still, I still give it two thumbs up, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I brought up the, new, the, the Plymouth uh, colony earlier. Right. But statistically, like, the people of New England were – taller, lived longer, and were better, better educated than the average person where they came from. Mm -hmm. Now, how much of that has to do with the kind of people who were com coming over, I don't know. But right. that says something, right. you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I think it would, I, you know, and obviously many of these things don't bear, I mean, like we're not going to have scenes and dialogue showing this but but it, right. it does you know if we think about the background and again most importantly it bears on Andreth and her role right her yep. context really um, because it matters a lot um, I mean if she's on one extreme you know she could be you know, loving the things with her people and her people loving her. And so her stepping away from that be viewed as a clearly an enormous sacrifice on her part. Um, you know, on the other end of the extreme, she could be getting out of Dodge one step ahead of the lynch mob. You know, if everybody hates it and decides that, you know, this is not the life they signed up for. Um, it was always a danger when we decided to tell this story the way that we've told it. Yeah. If it had yeah. been anybody other than Andreth who was the super gung-ho, let's move out of Nargothron to Ladros, like if anybody else had been the, the main voice behind that, we wouldn't have that problem. Right. But because of the way that we've chosen to tell the story, we have to be pretty careful about that. And so it's very important that we make sure that people have accepted this path. You know right. that that by and large, people are not in like open rebellion or something like that, and that she doesn't look like she wants to get away from this. You know, right? right. Yeah, it's definitely not a take me away from this too hard life kind of situation. But of course, the other thing that we have to manage with the Andreth and Ignore relationship is the sort of 
obvious <laughs> rank hypocrisy of the whole situation, right? right. You know, yeah. uh, Miss, I am the poster child of getting humans out from dependent relationships <laughs> with elves, and now I'm going to abandon my people and run off with an elf. Um, right. I mean, and she's too smart not to be conscious of this irony, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, surely she's conscious of that irony. Um, I would even think it would almost have to come up. Uh, and I mean, like, it's we're almost setting up for it in that very first scene with her emphasizing to him, you know, our, we can't rely upon the elves. You know, we need to be independent of the elves. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then later on, oh, by the way, and I'll leave my people and be with you instead is a huge shift, right, from that. And we need to... So how are how are you guys conceiving of that shift? Is this a, like, um, you know, this comes upon her and she's like, I, you know, it's a war between my feelings and my principles kind of situation? Or, or how do we see it? So... There's a few things like one, this is kind of snuck up on her, mm-hmm. right? She wasn't looking for this. She didn't fall madly in love with him at first sight or anything like that. Um, but when he comes back, she is wearing the shawl that he gave her. Right. And she's get, she is visibly excited to see him. And then she's like, wait a minute. What? What's my, what, are, what <laughs> why, what is this all about? Right. Um, because we talked a lot about like what would have happened had she not met Ignor, right? Right? Is the leader for people going to find some dude to like? Like what? What would her life have looked like? Um, one almost has to think, right? Wouldn't there be some dude? Among the House of Baor, who's like the obvious go-to, everybody assumes that she's probably going to marry him at some point. I mean, wouldn't that right. be the? Because I mean, it's not like they're on the frontier. There's not like a, she's going to play the field, right? I mean, there's no one right. in the fields, right? It's just them. Right. So it's got to be right. unless she meets somebody from among the Haladin on the way in. Right. I mean, there could be a, you know, a studly young Aurochs hunter or something, you know, who like is looking the at her with a wild surmise. Life, for yeah, for example. I mean, that's why I was thinking about that. Um, and so maybe people are like, OK, you know, uh, you know, there could be rumors of like a union of be- between their peoples, which, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Um, but um, OK, but fine. I. Uh, but it would seem like there's got to be a candidate, right? I mean, she's the lead. She's 28 years old, right? Um, which is, I mean, she's the leader of their people. So, like, she's been busy and such, especially over the last few years. But, I mean, it's well on to Marion time, right? I mean, it's got to, it's, it's, this, this has to have come up, right? It absolutely has to have come up. So, but of course we get into the issue of time screen time we have to get these people falling in love very quickly (laughs) like if we had a couple of episodes to work on this then yeah that's definitely a a story that we want to be telling yeah but we don't have that kind of time so the the one of the choices that we 
started leaning towards was this idea that it wasn't something that was prevalent on her mind because she's super busy. She's doing all this stuff, right? And there's certain – there's like – obviously there's there's different expectations for men and women in leadership, right? Because the reality is in this scenario, if Andreth is a man, then he marries some girl, has babies with her. She takes care of the babies. He goes off and does the thing that he's – he does his job, Mm -hmm. and nobody expects him – to be involved that deeply in in his in the raising of his family right mm-hmm. that's just the reality of of that situation that's not great that's not healthy but that's mm-hmm. that's what sure. happened for millennia right <clears throat> but the expectations for her are going to be different right um, and it's it's i mean it's one of the interesting consequences of her own choice right I mean, they've had a female leader for a long time back in, you know, Nargothrond. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's a different world out here, right? And it's, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One imagines that Avnel had a lot less to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, Andreth's kind of got to be everywhere, checking in on everything all the time. Avnel walked into a completely sustaining system. Part of the problem was there was nothing for the leaders to do. Yes. Yeah, there are very few problems to resolve, just the occasional bonfire to put out. And, and yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, yeah, I hear that. No, I, it's, it's not that I think it's going to be weird that she's not married. I'm just saying – nor am I suggesting, by the way, that we need a whole kind of backstory. I was just um, indulging in, in the same kind of question that you were um, – that you were saying for, about like thinking about what and what Andreth's path would have been. Right. Um, and thinking about that question led me to think like there has to be at least the potential. Right. I mean, even if she's not thinking about it, other people are right. Um, so, um, you know, and, and I think there are even ways to kind of incorporate this totally non-verbally. Right. Like for instance, mm. like there could be, a dude whom we never even meet, right? But who has like eligible bachelor written across his forehead, right? S- standing near her when she first meets Ignor, basically, right? You know that, like, um, I don't know. I mean, like, it's just he he runs up with like a a little bouquet with flowers, sees her meeting Ignor, and goes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, yeah, right. Coming up with some, uh, uh, gift, uh, made to look very, um, uh, inadequate by the gift of a Noldor Lord, um, uh, at that moment. No, I'm not suggesting we even bring, um, uh, we bring him that far into the story. I'm just saying, um, just it's sort of enough to suggest, I guess what I want to, the thing that I'm sort of, if I'm pushing for anything, what I'm sort of pushing for is I want, I want there to be some kind of sense of what is the life that she's leaving behind, right? You know, what, what does it mean when she offers to go away with him? What exactly does it mean? One of the things that it means clearly is her abdication of her leadership position with her people. And I like the fact that we show her, kind of preparing 
for that, right? The people don't realize that she's preparing for a transition, an imminent transition, right? They think it's a very eventual transition that she's preparing for. Um, so I like the fact that she's not, you know, we show her planning this. We show her taking a long-term view and not just saying impulsively, I shall throw everything away and run off with you no matter what happens to my people. I like that. Um, but even that doesn't necessarily show sacrifice fully. And there's sacrifice involved there. But do, do you see what I mean? Like, again, like, what life is she turning away from? And because, again, I, I keep coming back to I keep saying the word sacrifice because I feel like it needs I want it to be a sacrifice. I want when yeah. she offers to run away with him, I want I would want our viewers to really understand that she's not trying to better herself. This is the problem with the, with the cause she's marrying up. Right. Right. She's right. marrying up. She's marrying. Um, you know, it's like marrying into wealth, except much more than marrying into wealth. Right. Well, it is marrying yeah, it, into, wealth it is also. into wealth. Also, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But it's important to note that she's not running away to live in his palace. Right. In Dur- yeah. Yeah. Like, she's trying to get him to run away with her off into the wilderness where their life is not going to be easy. It's actually probably going to be a lot harder than the life that they're currently living. Right. Right. And he, let's be real. Okay. We remember the, the, the relationship between elves and nature and humans and nature like she is not going to be able to pull her weight at the same level as Ignor in that situation. Right. Not to mention the fact that, you know, yeah, just thinking about the differences in what they can physically endure. Right. Yeah. You know, she's all going to be like, so let's make a shelter. And he's like, why? <laughs> right. It's a beautiful snowy evening. <laughs> exactly. Why do that? Let's just roll around in the snow. Why not? Like this is enjoy nature and all of its manifestations. It's yeah. Yeah. Sheesh, you're eating a lot. woman. Like- <laughs> You need to eat every day. Wow. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, boy. And that uh, that cut that you got two weeks ago is still not healed. Like, oh my goodness. Like, what is this infection thing you speak of? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Why do you right. keep sneezing so like that? So yes. No. All kinds of problems. For trouble now. Whether or not that's whether or not the audience is going to understand that. Right. He so what we could do is when he's trying to get out of the situation mm-hmm. is have her first try to appeal to how impossibly difficult this this life that she's asking for is going to be. He's gonna try to appeal to her self preservation. Okay. Right. But of course, we know that that's not going to work because it never does no. in these situations. Like, nope. no, in stories, nobody actually cares about their own self-preservation. <laughs> right, right, right. But again, it, it. I mean, I do like the emphasizing, as I said, like emphasizing sacrifice. You know, in that she is giving up <clears throat> a lot, um, and not only comforts, right? But um, mm. how is there a way to? Yeah, is there a way ahead. to convey that that what she's giving up is like the life that she she chose in previous episodes you know because 
The worry I have is if this is the first time we've seen her in that life, so like that doesn't bias very much. Um, What we could lean on into is maybe like the respect of her people. Like if she just runs out on them, like what are they going to think about her? You know, which can certainly come up in response to him saying, "I've got to," you know pull my weight in the siege, right? My brother right. is here. I have to do and my the, duty. I have to do my duty here in the siege. And that's in, that's a, a softball for her, right? Like, I, I got a duty too. Right. And that's, and that's you know, and I'm talking about giving that up. So what about you? Um, but yeah, Dave, I mean, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I mean, because well, it's wonder, even, like I said, there's like the hypocrisy issue, right? She's compromising yeah. her principles. I mean, is there a way to communicate the idea that like, if she runs off into the wilderness, with uh, with Agnar, that she's going to be basically utterly dependent on him, um, uh, in, in the sort of you know in kind of a microcosm of the life that they previously had when they were living with the elves, um, you know. Whereas net right now her life's difficult, but at least she's like not depending on elves; she's depending on her own people and that kind right. of thing. I don't know. It is very abstract. I just I feel like if if we if what we put on screen is like what she's giving up is a punt, you know, a potential good-looking suitor over here, and this thing over here. Like, I don't know. That's that. That feels a lot less Tolkieny to me. That that feels like mm-hmm. the kind of thing you would see in pretty much any story. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm seeking for something different. That, that mm-hmm. yeah. I think. Maurice yeah. suggesting a parallel to Arathel and Ale. I don't. Hmm. Hmm. Parallels to Aeol and Arthel are always disturbing. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's what I'm like. I don't know what. But that sounds like fertile ground, given that we're. I mean, it'd be great if there were parallels that were like literally happening on screen this season. Uh, Uh, The isolation? Arthel's isolation? Can we just give her a best friend? So wait, so I can hang on a second. Okay, so Marie, I think I'm tracking with you. Basically, the parallel you're suggesting is that if Andreth does leave everything and run off with Ignor, then she is a parallel to Aravel being isolated with Aeol, right? I mean, it's by her own choice and she's initiating it. And yet nevertheless, this idea of instead of you know, achieving your goals and and being a part of things as as Aravel intended to be a part of things. Now instead, she's off, you know, in isolation, accomplishing nothing. You know, constrained and yeah, exactly. So that basically, and her life doesn't have purpose anymore. And her life doesn't have purpose anymore. Exactly, exactly. So um, Andreth would be losing her purpose. This is what I keep coming back to. Like the way, as I say, like the way in which her desire to run off with him is that it's not exactly hypocrisy, but it's like this close to hypocrisy, right? She was the one who, and she was right, right? She was right. To, and Finrod acknowledged that she was right, right? She convinced Finrod that she was correct to say, this isn't good. This is not how people should be. We need a purpose. We need a reason to be. And now she's saying, and I'm going to leave that all behind, right? Like let's, Let's cheerfully abandon that purpose entirely uh, and run away together instead. It's got to ring. It's got to ring a little bit, not false, but it's I mean, like 
I don't know. To me, it's it's always kind of a, a a pretty serious red flag, right? I mean, like if somebody says, "I'm willing to compromise my principles for you," it's like, well, hang on, that's uncomfortable, well, right? I mean, the reality is that she can be wrong. It's okay for her to be wrong, right? In in this circumstance, like you know, and and I nor can say, look, you know, you might say this now, but like are you going to look back at your life and still think that that's true so yeah are we in the end going to basically show she is the impulsive emotional weak one and he is the strong one who sticks to his principles and says uh, no, it would not be right. It would not be right for us. It would not be right for you. So I'm going to nobly ride away and do the right thing, even though you are not doing the right thing. Like, well, sort of. Kind of. Kind but of. he's put them in this position. Right? Because he's the one who has said that we like we can't be together in this circumstance mm-hmm. right she give he gives her no other option but okay. running away together right that's okay. the only option he leaves her with and when it comes down to it he's not willing to make the sacrifices that she's willing to make to make that happen she's Good. like fine You're, like i'll give everything up i'll give everything up right my, even uh, my own reputation amongst my people. They don't actually need me, but they're go- still going to feel aggrieved by this. Right. You know, they don't actually need me because I've set it up so that they don't need me. Right. But I'm willing to give all that up, and yet you're still going to ride away from here, leave me standing in the snow. Right. So one of my problems here that I'm having is that I skipped the middle of their of their story, basically. Right. Which is yeah. where... So it's not like the my concern is I, I, I want to make sure it does not look like in as much as there is fault here. Right. Um, that it's all hers, like that. He is the one acting nobly and clearly. And she's um, the one who's acting poorly or making bad decisions, you know, uh, bad, impulsive, emotional decisions. Um, right. The bit that I'm skipping is that he is the one. Who said so? Like things were proceeding naturally, no. as, in a way that was a surprise to both of them. He didn't come here planning to right. romance this human woman. She was not in that frame of mind either, right? You know, this was not right. her attitude towards elf lords. Um, I mean, if anything, she would have been. I mean, she's good friends with Finrod, right? Like you know, yeah. th- there was you know, and she would expect. And these are actually his brothers, right? So I mean, it's like she she would not be kind of worried about that. There was no romantic tension with Finrod. Like everything was fine. She knows how to categorize this. And so, so it surprises both of them, right? Kind of proceeds naturally. And then they sort of realize that they are in love with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's a question of like, and now what do we do? Now what happens? It's interesting because right up until that point, the point where they start having that kind of more philosophical discussion we so um this this kind of storytelling 
I will confess is outside of my uh, area of expertise, right? It's never been my strong suit. So you mean the savvy romances? Yeah, specifically, yeah, really my thing. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I typically have gotten them wrong in my own life. Why would I get them right on paper? Right. <laughs> Nick does not write rom-coms. Yeah, that's so what I did do was I because I know there's a formula for rom-coms, so I went and I looked it up, right? I did my research and I looked at the plot points of a romantic comedy and the story basically follows that formula until they realize, "Oh, what do we do now?" Right? You know, we start at the meet cute, then the realization, like all that stuff happens. And then, oh, no. Scandal, as Brian says. Scandal. Right? But this is <laughs> I, but the, really this is like a, this is like an ontological scandal. Right. This is not like a right. Montagues and Capulets kind of situation. Right. This is not right. a. Yeah. I mean, this is a. They don't even know yeah. if it works physically. Again, unprecedented. Like it's never, ever, ever happened in the history of the world. It yeah. literally isn't done. <laughs> it's literally not done. Yes, yes. It certainly never has been. So, so yeah. I mean, it's it's um it certainly is. It's on a very different level, right? On a, di- a very different um situation. Um, and don't, don't you bring up those names, Marie. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I, I I will. That's why I didn't hate it. That's why I didn't hate the Toriel Kiwi thing. There's a lot to hate about those films, but that's why I didn't hate it like so many other people did. Because in fact, like that kind of situation, like two apparently totally, like I actually thought um, that uh, the idea of like an elf dwarf romance, which is really awkward. Like people don't, people like to look at things like Baron and Luthien and imagine that this is like, you know, the two predestined lovers, you know, meeting each other. Like I'm telling you to Thingle, Keely would not have looked weirder than Baron. Like it would not yeah. have been more deviant. And so I kind of, I actually liked that element of the, of the, of the Toriel plot lines. I mean, it's the whole love triangle was so poorly done and it was super awkward yeah. and amazing, but, yeah. but, but again, and like the just ending. the whole concept of an elf and a dwarf falling in love, I actually thought was actually in keeping with many of these things and, and, and kind of strikes truer, uh, recovers in a sense this the sense of alienness the sense of strangeness like if it creeps you out good because like you should be creeped out by Baron and Luthien like Thingle was creeped out by Baron and Luthien and you know, it's right. it's it should feel similar so I, I I kind of like the fact that it, it sort of gave a way to recover that but anyway right right I mean given that Thingle himself is in an interspecies relationship. I know, I right? He would be a little bit more understanding. Come on. I mean, yeah, like, exactly. Maya to elf is, like, way like, bigger gap that than gap elf way... to dwarf. I mean, seriously. <laughs> there's nothing that compares to that. Um, yeah. You know, that yeah. Is, that is easily, easily the most awkward pairing in yes. all of the entire Legendarium. But we're not, like, we're never told to kind of look at that at all yeah. closely yeah but it really doesn't work there's a <laughs> lot of things about it that really don't work it's it's you know? it's challenging it's challenging yeah no i agree so i always i did always think that um um 
the outrage, like the, you know, inclination to laugh, to yell, you know, and I'm like, this is healthy. This is good. Like work through this people. Like this is exactly what you should be working through with these interspecies relationships in Tolkien. But anyway, anyway, my objection was never to the concept. Right. It was much more to the execution. The execution. You no, know, that's what it's always about with the Hobbit films. Um, but anyway, um, uh, uh, yeah. So, um, uh, they, when they, f- and so how long, how long does the middle go on? So like they get to the point where they're actually, where they like, um, by, um, uh, turn, turn Iluin, right. Which I love by the way that, um, you know, by Iluin is where they, uh, get together. Let's have as much like happy, tragic stuff associated with that location as possible. It's, that's great. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so um, they they have this moment, right, where they confess their love for each other. Like, they, they, they really do... My question is, how long does this last? Right? How long is it between the we're staring into each other's eyes by the romantic shores of the lake with like, you know, blossom petals blowing around us and everything. Right. Um, uh, you know, smooching long and tenderly and then like, you know, doing a, a horrible romantic montage, uh, you know, uh, uh, like an attack of the clones. Um, and then, and then we realize that it's a bad idea. Right. Like how long are they happy together is my question. Right. So that's a very good question. So Marie is giving you a little bit more information, but I'll, maybe we can just quickly look at the, the breakdown here. Um, in the first act, uh, which basically takes place over the course of the winter, there's the point where they meet and the second meeting where their mutual admiration starts uh, then in Act Two, we're in the late spring, and she's mad at him, right? Because he hasn't been to see her in months, and like elves, right? But by, like, by the way, like for this never gets old for me. It's, it, it never gets old for me. This whole plot line, uh, this whole motif we have going of elves being like, "I'll be right back," and then they come back five months later and wonder why yeah. the humans are upset. Like it never gets old. I love this every time we do it. <laughs> and to do it in a in a in a in a romance context, right? You know, when he's like, I'll come right back to check in on you and he comes back in three months and she's mad and he can't figure out why she's mad. Right. Right. I, I, what's not to love? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh the 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 secret the beginnings of the secret love between them is in scene seven. So it's right before, as Marie points out, right before the midpoint. Um, so before the act, like the big meeting that they're all going to have where Andreth and Ignor are going to be in the same room and with a bunch of other very important people, right? Um, like that happens and they have decided to keep it secret just in time for that council meeting, right? Okay. But there's probably a little bit of googly eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, it's hard to keep that kind of chemistry under wraps, especially if it's relatively new. 
Right, and Angrod twigs to it, right? He 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 figures it out. He observes it. I think it. he figures out that some, yeah, he figures out that something's going on. Yeah. yeah. Um then it's in act 3 after the midpoint that they start getting philosophical about it. They start talking about the war because they just were in the council in the talking council. about the right. war, right? right? So that's so they are kind of blissfully happy without thinking about the future or the um or what any of this means for basically one scene. Um, <laughs> okay. Right. But it's also, um, it's also a couple months essentially yes. in the timeline. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, so this is there. We're just enjoying like recognizing, acknowledging the fact that we're in love with each other now and we're not really thinking about what's going to happen yet. You know, summer romance, but it's, you know, still the middle of July, you know, that's where we are. Right. Until the right. council. So, right, right. Basically, this whole th- process takes place over a year, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe a little over a year because they start out leading into a long winter and then we end up like in the height of winter, essentially. Right. right. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, but it's, it's basically the council that is going to, is the reason they're going to start talking, right? So we, it's we have the, we have the, the conversation, yeah. Right. So we have the, the we have fallen in love sweepy music scene right. then the council scene uh and then after that the reality beckons we gotta figure out what happens yeah. now yeah like after the council they kind of realize that they're not just a girl standing in front of a boy and all of that other stuff that right i don't even know like it's part of the cultural zeitgeist i can't even remember what movie that's from right but uh I'm sure somebody somebody will remind yeah. us. Um, right, but they realize it's the big so, and it's going to come up. Ignor is going to bring it up, right? Because Andreth is still thinking we can overcome the obstacles, right? Right. She's That's like, we can, like, yeah, deal. you've got your people, and I've got my people, and where there's a geographical thing, right? But we can we can figure it out. We can figure out. A, so she's basically like, let's get married, right? Right. Um. She's like, let's get married, and there will be problems, right? And your family is probably going to be upset, and I'm, I'm going to have a hard time looking Finrod in the face next time I see him. But um, let's do this, right? And he's going to mm-hmm. be like, what? He's he's going to be like, yes, let's do this, but we're going to have to wait about 150 years, right? Or, you know, at least 50 or something, right? right? But that's that, that she doesn't have that kind of time. Exactly. She doesn't even have right. 50 years. Right. Like in 50 years, she's going to be almost 80 years old. Like, that's right. not going right. to work. Exactly. So that's where it's, that's, that's, because so, he's, so he's not going to say, yeah, no, I can't, I, I can't, I shouldn't do the human thing. He's, he's good to go. He's just doing the elf thing where he's like, yeah, but I can't, obviously we can't now, right? Like, right. that's like physically impossible, yeah. right? To do that right. now. So um, all we have to do is wait until the siege is over and then we can get married. Right. Which makes it sound really simple, and yet it's clear that he... And so this is where we want to lean on... Um, this is where we, we want to lean on the... Um, uh, um, 
him being inflexible, right? Like when she, her offer to throw everything up and run away with him is not like a plan, but a desperation. Right. That's like, yeah. Desperate. Um, I am acknowledging that this is a bad plan. Plan B. Marry her and live with her there in Ladros. Yeah. And then go like, it's, he's still right there. Right. 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 Um, and, uh, and the war might not even come. You know, an uh, 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 you know during her and like, in her defense, it won't. How long is it going to be until the war comes? Decades, right? Well, she'll be she'll be a pretty she'll old, old lady by the time the yeah. war comes. Yeah, exactly. So and, I mean, and this is why she's she, so bitter later on because she's like, right. we could have gotten married. Like the war didn't even happen. Would have been adults. Yeah, exactly. Her 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 their sons could have rode into battle with him. Yes, and it would have been totally fine. Absolutely. Well, they might have been getting a little on in years to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. She'd have had grandkids before right. the bat before the war actually came. Right. So so yeah. So this whole like, no, no, no. We're just gonna like not in a time of war. We're gonna wait for that. So okay. So let's then come the other direction. Right. She's seventy at the Dagor Bragalak, Maria's reminding us. So that's fully forty two years in the future from this moment. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so they are, in fact, when I, they don't know they're going to have 42 years of peace. But of course, so, but here's the other thing. So on the one hand, I didn't want to, I wanted to be cautious against making her look like, um, you know, just like emotional, impulsive, and I'm going to throw everything away and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I want to be careful with him too, right? We can't make him sound completely oblivious. Like the, one of the difficult things to manage as far as his perspective is, is just this whole, like, that's not how elves do it. Right. And, and yeah. that's going to be something that's going to be really hard for our audience to wrap their heads around. I think like the, the, the yeah. how deeply ingrained this is, or how can we explain that? Because here's the thing. She's never going to get it. I mean, that's clear. That's explicit in the Athrobeth, yeah. right? Finrod goes there at the end of that conversation in the Athrobeth and tries to say, you got to understand, like elves don't function that way. Like we can't do that. And she doesn't, she's having none of it in the Athrobeth, right? She's like, yeah, yeah whatever. We had decades, decades, right? Don't yeah. give me that. So, so let, let's ask this then. Why are the elves so unwilling to do that? Mm-hmm. Why? I, I mean, are they so singularly focused that they just can't? They just can't bring themselves to bring lives into the world while this other work is undone. Is that it? Yes. I, I maybe it is. Or the other thing is that, like, um, the way so in the context in which this comes up. You know, in the laws and customs among the Eldar, um, which is in Morgoth's ring, Tolkien talk is talking about this in the context of like what marriage means to elves, right? And how they like join their selves together, you know, their spirits and bodies together, and like what it means for them to beget children, right? I mean, it's like a conscious act on their part. Um, right. I mean, it's just it's it's both. Emotional, it's not just emotionally different, it's spiritually and physically different for yeah. elves. And so, to some extent, it does kind of seem to be. Um, I, I think I, I think I would 
that seems as good a way to explain it as any. Like that kind of like when you get married, when when two elves get married and have children, they are like that's a project they are dedicating themselves to. Like they right. are binding themselves, heart and mind, um, to that project of joining their lives together and bringing the child into the world and raising the child with the the connections that because remember Tolkien is getting really. Um, uh, philosophical here, right? He's talking right. about elf souls and, you know, like the Thea and the Hroa, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the spirit in the body and like how, the, you know, so it's, 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 it's much more than just, this is our culture, right? right? And it's much more than just, this is how we feel about things, right? It's mm-hmm. really because they simply don't operate the way that we do, right? I mean, like two humans, can sleep together and beget a child and not even realize that it happened, right? That's a very common yeah. thing among humans. That's impossible among elves. Like, they just right. don't work that way. Right. Um, and so... So if they do that, then they are making a conscious choice to bring a child into a yes. less than optimal... I, I was going to bring up Muriel, Marie. Um, Marie brings up Muriel having to wait and wait and wait to have a kid. <clears throat> yes. But, but I was thinking about the amount of effort that Muriel puts into her pregnancy. And it, that's not just something we made up. I know that we no. definitely accentuated that, but they, it, you know, we definitely made hand that up a little, but that is there in the yeah. story. No, exactly. I mean, it's, it's look, I mean, Muriel, uh, Muriel is like the embodiment of bad data point you know, in elf history, like you can't judge anything by Muriel because no one is no, no story in all of elf history is the story of Muriel. Right. Um, however, however, um, one of the things that it demonstrates, right, is that spiritual connection between parent and child, which is just of a different order than I mean. It's I don't care how awesome your baby is, right? When humans have babies, like it doesn't take their soul like that. Like it's just not that's not how it works, you know. Um, it's I mean you can have I mean it can affect you emotionally, it can affect you physically, but again it's it's you know not the way that her soul is knit with her sons and and yeah. it's it's just like that you know it's different. So um, so yes, I, I think that that's a hmm. Could he reference her then to kind of lend strength to what he's saying? The problem is it brings up the whole Feanor question. I mean, Feanor is such right. a, I mean, like it, I wouldn't want it to sound like, you know, like, you know, we don't want to like beget another Feanor by mistake or something like that, uh, which, I mean, nobody really wants to do that. I don't think you can. But anyway, um, but um but yeah, yeah. No, exactly, Marie. Uh, postpartum depression is very real, but Miriam, Muriel wasting away is a very unique data point. It's just, it's not, it's not on the same level as postpartum depression. It's just a completely different phenomenon. Um, but anyway, the point is that um, I think what we want to try to, con- to try to do justice to Ignor, right? Mm. It's not just a, in my culture, we never do it this way. Because that just makes him simply inflexible. Right. She's willing right. to bend. Right. Well, in my culture, right. we do it uh, you know, different ways, too. But, hey, let's meet in the middle. Like, you know, what's your damage? Right. Um, but again, if 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 what he 
tries to convey to her and fails to convey to her. Because again, in the Athrobeth, it's clear Finrod is still trying to explain it and she's still having none of it, right? Is that it's like, no, like you don't understand. Like it, we can't, I can't do it. Like he would have to, it would, I mean, he would have to. So I think maybe Nick, that your idea of saying like, I I can only sort of do one thing at a time is maybe right. a, a better, I mean, that just makes him sound really limited, right? <laughs> but, uh, which is perhaps not the greatest effect in the end. But, um, uh, but what he would be having to try to explain to her is that it's not that he doesn't want to, it's that he can't. And when he says, I can't, she would hear, I won't. Right. Or I'm unwilling to or like that's a sacrifice. I'm, you know, that's it's a line I'm not willing to cross. Right. So I'm going to say I can't. Um, but he means I I actually can't like I would have to like I in a time of war when we are focused on, you know, defending our people against, you know, an attack from Morgoth. I am not capable of being in that physical and spiritual place that I need to be in order to bind myself to a wife and to children. Like it's, it's, it's my apparatus does not facilitate that elves cannot, um, elves cannot, uh, 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 multitask in that way. You know, humans, humans actually have an interesting reaction that I, I read about. Um, interestingly, a couple of years ago, Right. Um, and that's that. Um, so women have a um, have a reaction, a, a hormonal reaction to pregnancy and uh, and childbirth that rewrites a lot of their behavior in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. What's really interesting is that if if uh, if the father spends a lot of time with the child after immediately after the child is born he also has his behavior rewritten mm-hmm. um which is really interesting and if it, i wonder if elves for elves that's accentuated because like he talks about elven women when they become mothers they're it it changes them physically to the point where they're not able to do the sorts of things <clears throat> that they would normally do. And I wonder if there's at least a temporary um, response like that for elvish males as well. Well, I mean, yes, in that, I mean, we are told that, like, there, I mean, he does talk about, the, like, how their two fair, you know, come together, and not just in the making of the baby, but, like, in marriage itself. This is why... This is why elves don't commit adultery also. Like, they're not tempted to commit adultery. In fact, the only times elves have ever been tempted to commit adultery have been when they're already really corrupt. Like, if it, like they're just, they're naturally monogamous in this way. They, they, they do, they're not inclined to stray. And anyway. it's one of the, one of the, what? Sorry? Hmm? That's, I said, anyway. <laughs> well, see, no, no, bad data point. Bad data point. That's that's why Finway and Muriel shall never be brought into a, a discussion of normative elvish behavior. But anyway, um, 
Yeah. So it's it's like you know he he said there that you know this is this is just kind of how they are. You know, Marie was asking, so like, do you know do elven soldiers forget that they have wives? I, I don't think that they forget they exist, right? But um, it would not surprise me, for instance, uh, if uh, <laughs> probably too much detail, but it would not surprise me if elvish husbands and wives do not sleep together during time of war. Like, you know, they're still married, right? But what Tolkien also says, after marriage, it often happens that, like, in years after they get married, there will be long seasons in which, like, the two of them will be undertaking different things. Like, they'll be, uh, you know, learning something or undertaking a new project, and they'll live apart for a really long time. Like, Galadriel and Celeborn, you know, when Celeborn goes to Rivendell and Galadriel goes, uh, you know, goes on the boat, right? Like, they don't go together, but, like, it's, you know, the, anyway, like, this, this, this happens, right? He says that this you know, but that's it's a normal sort of phase of thing, and this is what more than anything else, Nick. It's that part of Tolkien's description of el- elvish marriage that makes me think of that like non multitasking thing as a reasonable mm-hmm. uh, way to kind of try to make it graspable, right? Um, it's not that they cease being married. It's not that they forget that they have husbands. It's you know husbands and wives. It's not that they you know they don't forget each other. They don't forget their relationship. But there do, there do there will come seasons in their lives when they're not like that's not the thing they're doing anymore, you know, um, and so they'll they'll go off and do something else. But I do think so. Like the whole time of war thing, right? The whole time of, is like that is not the time for them to be doing the let's have a child thing, right? right. The child conception and child rearing thing. Um, it's not the time to do the let's now get married and, um, you know, have our, you know, the, our, our own union. Like, because again, when that happens, that's what they're doing, right? That's, that's their project. That's the main thing. Um, right. So in that sense, like, no, I don't think they forget about it, um, but they, um, uh, I, they don't, um, they're not, I mean, if they are being soldiers, I, I do think that an elf, a male elf, who is being a soldier in the army is, in a sense, he's not on active duty when it comes to being a husband. He probably lives apart from his wife. Um, maybe she's there. Maybe she lives in the same place. And we can, and I think it's not, that's nothing against the way that we've shown husband and wife teams like Edelos and Angrod back in the beginning of season mm-hmm. four, right, working together in the context of war. That's fine. Right. But see, even there. Right. One would imagine from in this point of view that Engrod and, and Edelos are primarily operating um, not exactly as husband and wife, but more as as, you know, partners, partners. Yeah. Like they're, you know, soldiers and captains uh, together yeah. there and they still work together and it's got, they still love each other. Right. And they're still married. Um, but that's the thing that they're and but, but both of them were doing it. Right. So they were right. able to work together just as Galadriel and Celeborn are both doing the we're ruling Lothlorien thing, you know, in the Third Age when we meet them in the Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, but um, anyway. Okay. So, yeah. So I think. So- I think we can try, but trying to convey, like, what we're actually going to show on screen, right, is going to be Ignor attempting to explain this and failing, right? Yeah, like, and, and here's the thing, is like, he can explain it badly in a right. way that the audience doesn't understand until Finrod explains it later. So maybe we can yes. leave it to Finrod to at least 
get enough of it out so that the audience can understand. Andreth is is too blinded by her own bitterness about the fact that she got stood up in the snow, right? right. right. But Finrock can kind of it, lay it out, right? Right. Um, and Agnor can say something to the effect of, "Look, like I couldn't be a husband for you, and I couldn't give you a child." Like those things he can say, right? And she's not going to understand why not. Because again, right. like in human culture, the time of war, like right before the battle, is a very popular time for making babies. Right? I mean, that's that's kind it of makes a you thing. Feel alive. <laughs> right? That's kind of a thing. Right? <laughs> um, so so yeah, that that would not make any, especially since like he's he's a boy, right? So like. <laughs> Like, why can't he give her a baby and then go off to war? Like, that's how it works, right. actually. Like, that's normal. Like, what What does he mean so, when he says he can't do that? Like, what, So we yeah. probably should have in our heads the answer to this question. What would have happened if he had stayed with her in Ladros and been her husband for that 42 years? What would have happened in actuality? I think in actuality... They would have um, had an awkward. Well, I don't think it would have worked out. I think she yeah. would have felt spurned because, like, yeah. I think he would have. Okay, so first of all, we have to maybe not get too technical about this. No, I mean we can't. We, we, we don't. We don't need anatomical illustrations or anything, you yeah. know. But like, but no. But seriously, like, I think they would have lived like a largely celibate relationship, you know, like because he's. Yeah doing the war preparation thing, right? And right. he could have... And again, I, you know, we, we had Angrod and Ethelos as a model, right? Yeah, yeah. That maybe is available, right? You know, that's best case scenario. That's best case scenario. That she right. has a role, right, as leader of her people, and he has a role as, like, neighboring elf lord who is helping to, to marshal and to lead his people, who are their close allies and relatively near neighbors, right? And so, therefore, the two of them could work together affectionately in partnership, like Angrod and Evelos were working together affectionately in partnership, with commitment and everything, right? I mean, it's not... I, I, I wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm suggesting that, like, you know... When Angrod's wife dies, he doesn't particularly care because he wasn't in the wife mode, you know, when when that happened. Like, it's no, it's not about that. They're still committed to each other. They still love each other. But that's like being together, especially uh, in a, uh, you know, baby making environment uh, is not where he is. It's not where he's going to be. So and I think that she would not really get that. And so Marie, exactly. She would have become really uncertain about whether or not he ever loved her at all. I, she, I, I have to think that the relationship that they would have had would have been one that she felt was like not a real marriage. Um, yeah. And I'm not just talking about their physical intimacy. I'm, I, I mean, in all ways, like he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to do both. He can't be for her, which means, which makes the falling in love really interesting. Right. Yeah, that he can do that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, how far can he go, and why can he go there? Right. And this is why he would it would surprise him. Right. I would think. So this is why one of the reasons why, because like we we've talked before about how like one of the only things that seems to 
motivate people to move against cultural taboos like the kind of thing we're discussing is overwhelming physical attraction essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right um but that's probably not what he's experiencing that's like the opposite of this yeah exactly right exactly like she no. kind of might be experiencing yeah that, but he's sure not he's not and yes he he probably does find her attractive and and whatnot but that's not really what's getting his attention and by the way i forgot who we cast as ignor but talk about your acting challenges right i want you to have real chemistry with this woman on screen except you can't act like you are overwhelmed with physical desire for her because in fact you're not you're not in fact at all tempted to sleep with this woman but you are overwhelmed with love unexpected to you that is like leading you to this place. But you actually, literally, physically do not have any desire to sleep with her. So please act that now. I mean, I have no idea how I would do that. Outside the human experience. I don't think that it's... I know. Like it's, human, yeah. Males don't really work that way. <laughs> I know. Exactly. It's, it's super weird. But, but that's exactly it. That's, so, I mean, so let me... Um, coming back to, like, why does this happen with him or what's going on in his mind, right? Or in his body even, right? Imagine if she were an elf, Right presumably it has happened on more than one occasion that two elves meet and fall in love in a time of war, right? So what happens? What do they do? They realize that they love each other. They may realize like, yes, you are the partner for me. Um, I want like what Aragorn and Arwen do, right? Where they get betrothed on Karen Emroth and then say, okay, when the war is over, if the war ends, you know, and we're not dead, then we'll get married. Right. That's pretty much, I think, what what elves would do. And that's what he's expecting. He wasn't expecting with a human, obviously. Right. But I I don't think falling in love would be counterindicated on like the physiological level. Um, But but as you say, it's not like physical desire that's driving him at all. It's like I, I respect this woman. She, I, I, I think that she could be a good partner for me. Yeah, she's human. I realize that's weird and totally unprecedented. And my brother is kind of pressuring me about this. But I'm going to push back against my brother here because she's really great. Right. Andreth is great. And I think that she would be a, a good partner for me. Um, so this is great. So 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 we're going to um, so let's do this. And she's saying, Andreth is saying, let's do this. The problem is doing this looks completely different for the two of them. It's not like one of them wants it and the other one doesn't. They both want it, right? But for him, wanting it means, excellent, we've made an arrangement, right? We agree that we both love each other. So as soon as the war is over, in 10, 50, 150, 450 years, we'll get married, Right. And then we'll do the romance thing and we'll do the baby thing and it's going to be great. Right. And we'll both look forward to that. And she's like, yeah, no way. Mm. Um, And so for her, what doing this thing means is let's make it work and and get married now. And of course, again, like the reason she's going to be so bitter later on is that she has every reason to think that she was justified. Right. Right. Because it's going to be, in fact, 40 years. She's right. going to be a 70-year-old woman when the war actually breaks. And this, like, at this point, the audience is going to be 100% on her side. 
like I, I think the audience probably will be pretty upset with Ignor when he rides away and should be. Um, it's been brought up in the chat a couple of times about uh, romantic asexual attraction, which I'll confess I didn't think of when I made, <laughs> made a couple of statements with, which would kind of preclude that. I would agree that that's probably closer to what it looks like. That's definitely outside of my experience and, it, you know, and probably a lot of actors' experiences, I imagine. <laughs> but that is definitely a thing that exists. Um, yeah. I mean, so it's... It's different from... I don't know. I mean, there are lots of... Um, there are lots of... I, Nick, I think what I would push to is is right back to what you said about this is not really a human experience. Like that's part of the point. Like one of the things, one of the things that I would hope that we could accomplish in describing this love story is really intimately come to understand this is literally an alien race. Like Mm -hmm. they're not just like super long lived and unexpectedly beautiful humans, right? These people, this is a different species entirely. And that we just are not wired the same. Like we don't, and it's more than just, I mean, we've, we've been kind of getting at that with the longevity thing, right? We keep coming across that with the, and the way that that affects the way that they look at so many things and everything. Right. But it's not just that if a human didn't die, they would still be wired completely differently from how the elves yeah. are wired. They're just, they're set up differently. And we've never really shown that. Like, this is one of the places where yeah. we can, and it's a, it's a, to do it in the, I mean, so in this way, Nick, I go back to the romantic comedy thing, right? There's so much about this arc that looks familiar, right? That yeah. seems like this is, oh yeah, like we've heard this story a hundred times, except you haven't. Right. In fact, it's there's this superficial, the superficial familiarity to it. And yet it's at the end of the day, the story turns on. But they were two different species who could like barely actually interrelate and had wholly different spiritual and emotional uh, makeups. And so, in fact, could not even understand each other at the end of the day. You think for a minute that's the tale as old as time. But no, it's definitely not this is a completely different tale <laughs> yes yes and, and this is literally a tale never told ever before uh, in the case right. of Andreth and Eichnor like you know and yeah. that's uh um yeah yeah and it would be it would be amazing actually to like convey that right and yet the thing that we get at the end is she doesn't get it right Andreth yeah. doesn't get it at the end of the day she is still she feels like a, a jilted and betrayed lover, mm-hmm. right? He has just, he's been faithless. He has shown yeah. in the end that he was not willing to commit to her. He was not yeah. willing to, to, to... She gave him every opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Even to the point of going beyond where she knows she should go. She should not leave her people and run off with right. the elf lord instead. She knows she yeah. shouldn't do that, but she's willing even to go there, right? And in extremis, when it seems like there's no other alternative, she proposes that, Right. And yet he won't even do that. Um, and even, even of course, the no, her own knowledge that it was not right for her, you know, that that would not have been a good thing for her to do is going to 
fuel her bitterness, uh, yeah. you know, towards him. Um, so, yeah. Um, I like also that this goes way beyond the whole, the whole, like, you're going to watch her grow old and die. And then yes. you're going to watch your children grow old and die. And your grandchildren are going to grow old and die. You're going to watch your entire line grow old and die as you are helpless to prevent it. Yeah. Right. And that's rough. <laughs> like that's right. a big ask for anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but this goes well beyond that. It's more than that. It's that he literally just wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to be a good husband to her. Really a husband to her at all. Right. And it's not right for him to ask to have her leave her people behind and for them both to abdicate their duties <clears throat> like there are a lot of things about this <laughs> Brian <laughs> likes my my <laughs> understatement <laughs> it is rough it is rough <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but anyway um yeah yeah no I agree and it's I think that's it's uh it just it makes for a really really interesting story a really unusual love story if we can succeed in conveying that but it's a lot it's a lot and as you, oh the other thing i was going to say though in response to what you're saying about the children dying and everything um i like the fact that we have that conversation with angrod in there right because one of the things that we're showing there is it's not about that he's willing to go there right yeah. he he understands She's immortal. He understands the implications. He's thought through it. And so we show him, not in his conversation with her, right? But we show him in his conversation with his brother. He's not just caving to family pressure. He's not just, you know, unwilling to deviate from his culture. He's not just creeped out by the fact that he's going to outlive her by millennia. He's, um, uh, and is going to watch their, you know, children for a hundred generations grow old and die. He's, 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 he's willing to go there, right? He's willing to take that on even though that is going to be rough, as you say. Um, but but that's, in, in the end, that's not what causes the problem, right? He's willing yeah. to take that step. He just, he just, he can't, he just can't now. It's just bad timing. It's yeah. just bad timing. It's just bad timing. <laughs> that's all it is. That's all it is. If she right. could just wait for 50 years, I mean, apart from the whole he's going to die in battle thing, but, uh, you know, still, like, uh, if she could... And then even then, even that's only a... would normally only be a temporary inconvenience, but um, uh, but obviously less so here. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that's that's very interesting. It's kind well, of what's... ironic, isn't yeah. it? Because it, on the one hand, you know, the root of it is this, like, the, the, the like, alien nature, but also bad timing is like <laughs> that's like pretty much the most human possible like thing to happen in a, in a relationship right yeah. yeah yeah i mean it it is it is um yeah yeah in the uh, end i was it's... gonna say that this conversation is interesting because i think i think it will be challenging to portray because like i don't think jackson's films portray this at all no right not at all they really just lean into the like he's gonna die and you'll still be alive boy i won't that be a bummer right uh and it really doesn't it doesn't like like jackson's elves are literally just long-lived like you know classier long-lived humans yes with mm -hmm. years yes um and uh and and so i think 
In some who can leap always... tall falling buildings with a single bound. <laughs> yeah. Granted, with excellent yeah. agility and balance. Um, yes. Cat-like reflexes. Right. And I think that introduces challenges because I think like your typical audience, they're they're like that's how they're that's the story they're going to expect, and that's the kind of elves they're going to expect. So like, like being able to communicate like that, the really profound sort of you know like differences in nature are, is tough. And that's why I, I feel I really love the way that we've been building up to this. Those moments that we've given in just the the fundamentally different attitudes and perspectives and we've seen that from the unfriendship of the green elves and Goadriel's attempts there to the interactions with Thingol and Beleg and Haleth, right? And and the problems in Nargothrond and you know, so there are lots of places where we've shown yeah. that like they're just not on the same cycles and, and, and they're you know have a really hard time understanding each other. But it's all been kind of building up to this, right? And where here we see it goes beyond that. It goes beyond mere, I have a, you know, our cultures are really different. It goes well, well beyond, I have a hard time understanding how you think and into, we just, we're in fact different species who are put together differently. And that's really, you know, sometimes just creates in, in Super Bowl obstacles. Yeah. The, the, we've shown in a lot of ways that they are so different on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. You know, like the 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 Galadriel, like the the unfriendship with the Green Elves is a really good point because the fact that murder is a fact of life for humans, right? When for elves, it's a horrifying thought to even comprehend, right? You know, right? Like, look at what had to happen in order for it to happen at all. Right, you know, and of right. course, when elves when elves murder other elves, they like they do it at scale, right? They don't just murder <laughs> that guy because they were looking at their wife, you know. Like, that's not that's one of my favorite Nick Palazzo quotes so far. When elves murder other elves, they do it at scale. I like that. Um, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. They 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 really they they show true dedication to concept when they take that step. <laughs> it doesn't just happen. It doesn't. Just, and, and of course, another way to say that is that the humans are always living closer to death than the elves. It's yep. more of a present reality in their lives all yep. the time. Um, um, such that even it's hard for them to comprehend, like the whole like why the pigs are a problem, right? I mean, like you right. know, get, okay. So yeah. they like, yeah, they trampled some bushes. Get over yourselves, green elves. Yeah, like, come on. This is yeah. our this is our lives like, we're talking about. Yeah, the green elves are like, do you really need five hundred pigs? Like, is that <laughs> is that absolutely necessary? There are pigs running around in the woods all the time. They don't cause as much of a fuss. But you have to have five hundred pigs all in one place where they're easy to get to. What's right. that all about? Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. But but again, I think this is. Um, I mean, so really, I you know, I see the two. This and it's episode eleven. That's the Athrobeth, right? Yes. Yeah. So episode nine and episode eleven are really these two moments where all of this is brought into into conflict, right? right? The con- the yeah. conflict which begins unresolved, right, at the end of this episode with him, you know, riding away from her. Um, um, and it's not exactly going to get fully resolved, but it's going to it's going to get at least talked through in episode eleven, right? So those two are kind of like the 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 bookends of the real like that's the real meeting of these two cultures that all of this has been kind of set up for uh, in in a way, and I, I love that I love how that works I think that's really really cool we should. Mm-hmm. 
let's talk. Let's glance at yeah. the other plots. Um, the other two plots, there's not a huge amount of stuff there. So right. That was. I was thinking we could kind of t- cover them pretty quickly because. So actually, let's go to the B po- or the C plot because we already talked yep. about that, um, which yep. is the uh, the council in Dorthonian, right? Um, I yeah. love the way that Marie has phrased this. Fingolfin arranges a meeting in Dorthonian to discuss the siege because he doesn't appear. Fingolfin doesn't appear. He sends Fingon. Right. Right. Why? Right. Why? What's What's Fingolfin well, up to? So he sends Fingon with his banner, with the banner of the High King, uh-huh. and Fingon at this meeting speaks for Fingolfin. He's not speaking as a captain of Fingolfin. For all intents and purposes, politically speaking, he is Fingolfin right. here. Right. He is the High King. Okay. Which is doubtless going to make the Feanorians super happy. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, fortunately, right. it's Fingon, right? So, like, you know, uh, Mithros is going to be fine with this. Um, but uh, I'm only imagining, like, the looks that Carinthir and Kurofin are exchanging during uh, during this. Since, I mean, they're not even cool with Fingolfin being High King. Um, well, there's a reason why we didn't put them here, okay. right? So Maglor is here as the, as the representative of the Feanorians. Right. Uh, mostly because I forgot Mithros, he was the only one there. Yeah, Mithros can trust Maglor to only say the things that he told him to say, <laughs> and not be a jerk to anybody. Right, right, right. Um, not say, not start any sentences that begin with "Yay, more," uh, like right. Carinthir would say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, My- Mithros would probably rather be here himself, but he's busy in another plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back at him, right, right. So, um, so this also gave us a chance for Hador and Andreth to meet, which was great, and they have a little conversation. Uh, you know, like they have their own, their little side conversation about nice. how their their cultures are are dealing with the changes that they've been going through in their growth and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, which it- was fun. Is that going to be the beginning of sort of more interchange between the House of Hador and the House of Bayor? Are we going to get any of that or or any indication yeah. of that? Um, there will be. Because oh, we're, we're, we, we need to have marriages, right, sooner? Yeah. In, yeah. in the next episode. So um, there are no Bayorians getting married at the devil wedding. Right. Uh, as far as I understand. Uh, but Andreth and Barahir are both there. Uh, so we get to meet. Barra here, who is being prepared to take on the the kind of directional leadership of uh, the Bayorians, uh, he's going to wind up, you know, carrying around Bayor's staff. Um, and so we actually have. Well, we'll talk about that that at that point. Later. But yeah, let's yeah. Save, save some of that. Right. 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 Okay. Um, so. But wait, tell me again why Fingolfin isn't showing up? Um, because Fingon is is he's grooming Fingon for the role of High King. This is part right. of his like, hey, this whole groom your successor thing that the humans do is kind That's of a good idea, rad. right? Yeah, 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 okay, exactly, right, okay, um, all right, okay, um, and what's the point of the council? Like, what's his? What's the message? Uh, so ultimately, what there is this isn't a strategy-changing moment, is it? This is a not tremendous meaning, right? 
Right. So what they're going to what they're basically going to get at in the um, after at the point of this whole meeting, the end point of it is that they have realized that Morgoth's forces can kind of get out around the sides of the siege. Um, because, of, for example, the attack on Halith's people um, <laughs> earlier in the season. So the eastern west and western flanks are having a little bit of trouble. Um, and Magor is basically like Mythros is like, I can I can build more fortresses. That's fine. I got plenty of help. I don't have anybody to put in them. Right. Um, I can't be everywhere. I don't have enough people to be everywhere. So one of the things that this accomplishes is reminding us that although the Feanorians are quite fearsome in battle and have their cavalry and make really awesome fortifications, they're not in fact that numerous? I mean, they can be pretty numerous, but they're not numerous enough to be everywhere. Like, there's not enough of them to basically stretch a line out from the mountains of Dorthonian all the way up to um, Eridluin and and beyond, because that's how the the um, the orcs got out in the first. You know, right. so earlier, part they of, went up and around. Right. Part of what we're setting up here in having this discussion is drawing the viewers' attention to the fact that the eastern flank of the siege, it, although it has the Feanorians and their fortresses are individually really strong there is weakness over there on the Eastern front. Uh, and there's, and that we should not be surprised when you see it crumble later on. Right. Right. Well, and also we should not be that surprised when Myros tells Fingolfin no. Right. In, you know, in two episodes when Myros says, look, I I don't, I don't have the manpower. I know you don't have the man. Like, I know that we don't have enough. Right. 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 So, yeah. So we're establishing here that we don't even have the like maintaining the siege indefinitely is something we are arguably unequipped to do, even right. apart from ignoring the fact that he's a Valar and you can't really do that anyway. But it, but it just just like we we're running short even just doing that. And so the idea of saying, hey, instead, let's attack. Um will seem like complete madness when it's already been established here in this episode that they're like, you know, the, this, the siege is in fact, you know, the, 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 you know, the right. leaguer is paper thin over here in places. Right. Now, of course, the real reason to have this council, the real reason is to show how deep in their councils Anael is so that when he returns to Mithrum, and Thurung Wethel comes and visits him at night, yes. and we see flashbacks of that very meeting that we were just privy to, that we know that Angman knows that they're that the elves are trying to shore up their flanks. And probably fail. Which, which is why they don't attack the flanks right, right away. Right. <clears throat> okay. So where you're setting up the tactics of the Dagor Bragalach and explaining why the tactics go that way. Mm -hmm. And this is also, of course, the reveal that Anil is compromised. Is, is compromised, right. 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 And so anytime that we see Anil from now on, we know that whatever he's seeing is something that Angban knows about. Okay. Um, can I ask a favor? Uh-huh. 
Can we show Anil opening the window before he goes to bed? The window sure. that Thorin yeah. Grethel comes through? Yeah, that jump change. I, I, again, it's the Dracula reference, right? But it's uh, the it's an important thing in Dracula, which I think is really the, door for him. the invitation thing, right? And we, yeah. we don't need to belabor it, right? We don't need to belabor it. Just because, again, it's it's more than merely that he is... She's not just stealing from him and he doesn't even realize it, right? He is being, like, suborned. He is... There's... His own will is being compromised here as well. And so that's why I want to kind of preserve the I'm inviting the vampire into my room kind of Lucy Westonwood thing. Yeah. He's... It's part of his... uh, It's part of his, like, Manchurian candidate programming. He's always open your window before going to bed, right? Well, it it doesn't even have to... Like, there should... Actually, there shouldn't be a good reason to open his window. No, in no, fact, no, it would I'm be even saying. cooler if it's like the middle of winter and he's opening his window and like uh, it is in fact in the middle of winter. That's good, true. excellent. Then he should open his window before he goes to bed in what looks like a totally puzzling and inexplicable move, only to find Thorin Gwethel coming in through that window, you know, flying in through that window and 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 Ugh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the Lucy Westenra thing. That's it. Okay. I, it's, I just like to, and it's 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 a very subtle. I know, but it shows. It it points to uh, it's an homage the, the comp- and and yeah it is that uh, but also again it's it's an homage which serves to point to the compromise not only of his mind but of his will um, yeah 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 okay. so that we should certainly be starting to get um, uh, starting to get um, you know like uh, really bad Evelos feelings which by the way yeah. I love the fact that we are recalling Evelos and her compromise and death earlier in this episode with the conversation with Angrod um, so that yep. we can be all reminded about folks who have their minds compromised by Angband yep. um, to set up that at the end. So I, I, I like that a lot. Cool. All right. All right. Um, so Right, the B plot, yeah. So the B plot is just about Mithros attempting to recruit the dwarves. Essentially, that's yep. the the essence of it. He's trying to recruit mm-hmm. the dwarves um, to join the war effort and help him man these fortresses and stuff. And the dwarves aren't into it; they're just going to defend their own fortresses, right? Right, right. And we do, and you know, we do a little bit of fun things where <clears throat> where Mithros is learning, but Mithros is is learning stuff about the dwarves, right. which is critical because. That's they're going to be part of the union of Mithra, so they so we have to get that um, right that started, and so you know we brought up the whole Ware Guild thing again, but this time from the other direction, right? The last time we brought up the Ware Guild thing for the dwarves, well, that's not entirely true because last season we brought it up when Dees demanded Ware Guild from Gandalf for the death of her two sons, right, and her brother, right. uh, but. In the main story, the last time we brought it up was when uh, Denethor of the Green Elves was killed, and so the dwarves magnanimously offered the offered. Green Elves uh, a, a were guild, yeah, like to make up for the fact that their king, like, oh, your king died. Oh, yeah, that's that's obviously terrible. We get that. That's a problem. So here, here's some money to make up for that, right? And of course, the Green Elves, are, Green Elves, are being not Green, super yeah, right, yeah. that is not their love language they just they they didn't get that at all yeah yeah so my learns that in order to to show accountability for the death of one of the workers in a construction accident he is expected to give a wear guild to uh the dwarf's family 
and but despite his best efforts they are not going to go along with the war effort but they will remain on to help dig out the tunnels which will come in importantly in episode 13 right building secret tunnels in the mountain of Himring. okay cool mm-hmm. cool no i like this i mean this is a lot of this is going to not pay off for a long time yet um uh, but I think it's it's good to say. I mean, I like the fact that we're already beginning to lay the foundations for the union of Mithros, um, mm-hmm. uh, especially since we're going to have Mithros be um, we're going to have Mithros be arguing against the attack on Ang Band, which is always mm-hmm. a little bit challenging because you know he's pretty gung ho yeah. in general about the whole yeah. let's attack Morgoth thing. Yeah. Um, um, but showing how first of all how. He is much very keenly aware of the impracticality of the suggestion at this particular juncture, and he has failed to recruit the help that he had hoped for. And but yet, how we can see how down the road, right? Um, he's going to change yeah. his mind. Maybe if he had been successful here, he might have been in right. on Fingolfin's right. plan, and they right. might have gone ahead with it, like right. with the dwarves helping them. They might have been able to get yeah. into Angban at the very least. And then maybe the fight with Morgoth is Mythros and Fingolfin and Fingon and Caranthir and Kurifin and and Ignor right. and, and Angrod versus Morgoth. And that feels like that would look a little different. Yeah, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, um, um, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, Maria's reminding me it'll be, although there's only 17 years between the Dagor Bragalak and the Near Knife, um, but we won't get to it until season seven because our storytelling is going to slow down in terms of years uh, fairly quickly. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So it is a setup for something two seasons down the road. But it does also, it's going to pay off immediately um, in helping to, helping to have it make sense um, that Mithros, even Mithros, right? Even. You know, um, Mr. As One Who Returned from the Dead, Mr. Living Flame Mithros is still going to be not really, you know, keen on attacking Morgoth for some reason. So we see the reason why he's not. I mean, it's practical. Um, good. Good. I like this. Plus, of course, as you as you hinted with the Dwarvish construction, setting up something that's going to be important in a few episodes when we get to the Dagor Bragalak itself. So mm-hmm. cool. Awesome. Good. Well, I think that is really exciting. I'm really excited about how... The, I mean, this is one of those where I still feel kind of guilty. Like, I feel kind of guilty in the sense that the things that we were saying about the Andreth and Igno relationship today are really easy to say and really hard to do, both in terms of scripting dialogue and in terms of acting even more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, but nevertheless, that's one of the fun things about this project, right? Is that we can say these things and then, I, you know, don't have to try to figure out how to get actual actors to actually do it. But um, but it's really interesting. And I, I love how it works into the whole shape uh, of the uh, of the season. Not saying that I, I, I think that, you know writing a script would be really interesting very hard uh, for this episode but really interesting um, 
But anyway, we didn't get to the frame, which is a trend Shocking. that we've been Shocking. maintaining. So I think we should keep our record intact there uh, for now. What is clear is that we're going to need a catch-up frame, you know, session mm-hmm. where we kind of go through the frame, maybe even looking <laughs> at the the whole thing. Um, but um, yeah, Brian yeah. is also not shocked that we're not caught up on the frame. Right. Like, exactly. What, what frame? <laughs> yeah. yeah the, last, exactly. the last discussion you had with Brian was during season two, and it was specifically related to catching up on the frame when we had planned out basically an entire season of frame. Yes. And you guys finally realized, hey, maybe we should talk about the frame. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think we, in fact, it would be kind of fun. Maybe what we just do is when we finish talking about all 13 episodes, it, I'm, 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 I'm imagining like a table, right? Where we have like the frame, like a, yeah. you know, one sentence synopsis of what's happening in each episode and then um, talking about the frame so that we can really see not only the mm-hmm. whole flow of the frame story, but yeah. how it's interacting with the, uh, the main thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of, we're, we're kind like, of headed in that direction. We might as well just kind yeah. of go whole hog on that, I think. It's essentially like one or two hours worth of – between one and two hours worth of television, the frame for the, right. the whole season. Right. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense to talk about in the context of like as an, as an episode discussion. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean it would be kind of fun to talk about it as we go along, but why fight destiny? So um, – so we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. So next time, don't forget. We still need a, we still need a name for Howard Dream Christmas, by the way. So oh. any, any any language nerds out there, specifically Adonaic language nerds, um, right. it's been suggesting that the that uh, uh, Philip Menzies suggested one that I really like, which is The Gifting, which mm. I really like. My Adonaic is terrible, so I'm not going to even try to figure out how to parse that into an, an Adonaic phrase. Okay. The gifting. Mm. The gifting. So that suggests we're still doing a Christmas-like gift exchange thing that's culturally attached to it. Um, While feasting relating it to the giver of the gifts. The giver of gifts. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's excellent. It's excellent. Um, okay, yeah. So we'll 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 see if we can figure out uh, some Adonaic there. Um, all right. So so our next session. Uh, remember, we're we're skipping a week for Mythmoot. Uh, so we'll although we'll be doing some film stuff at Mythmoot as I mentioned. Um, but our next session will be on Thursday, July first. It is at a special time because we are going to have uh, Hakan in from Europe again, um, and so it'll be at three p.m. Eastern time. That is three p.m. Note not three a.m. Eastern time. That is three p.m. Eastern time. Um, our last special session with Hakan was at two a.m. Eastern time, as I recall. But <clears throat> this time. It will be at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the 1st of July, Thursday, the 1st of July, to be talking about the casting results. So don't forget, you've got until the 27th of July, a little more than two weeks, to go in and cast your vote uh, for casting for Season 5. So I encourage people to go in there and check it out. Um, Cast your votes, and we will... um, uh, We will... We will see what happens, right? Look forward to discussing that next time on the 1st of July. Thanks, everybody, for joining us uh, as always. And I will say thanks for listening and Godspeed.